This podcast is part of the Telerik Developer Network. Telerik, a progress company. Hello and welcome to Eat Sleep Code, the official Telerik podcast. I'm your host, Ed Charbonneau, and with me today is Matt Milliken. Hi, Matt. Hi, how's it going? Today, uh, Matt and I are going to be talking about Microsoft Open Source. Matt, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself so people know who you are and, and uh, what you do. I'm good. Uh, my name is Matt Milliken, and I am the lead web developer for a company called Gradient Creative, and we specialize in uh, full-spectrum digital marketing for the hospitality industry and the uh, creating experiences for our customers. What are some of the technologies that you work with, Matt? Uh, for the back end, we're pretty much a Microsoft shop, so we rely heavily on ASP.NET, specifically MVC. Um, we have a lot of uh, different SQL project products also. And that makes you the perfect person to talk to you about the topic today. Uh, which is Microsoft Open Source, uh, because Microsoft has created this new initiative over the last, say, uh, it's been about a year, year and a half, um, where they've started moving a lot of things to open source and putting things into GitHub and uh, creating a lot of their frameworks in the open source space. So uh, this all started under the oh, umbrella so, of yeah, VNext is called VNext. Uh, some pretty exciting stuff. Microsoft and really a whole paradigm shift from for them. Um, you know, Microsoft and .NET used to have this huge stigma that there's a almost a barrier to entry. That you needed, needed Windows and Windows Server and all of this stuff, and that's kind of gone with the new VNX stuff that they've been working on, which is pretty exciting. Yeah, so is, the history of it all is, you know, to write ASP.NET web forms or ASP.NET MVC or, frankly, anything that had the ASP.NET framework behind it, uh, you had to be running um, a Windows-based machine not only to develop for uh, the platform but also to run the server and the infrastructure that hosted the website and everything. Yeah, and that a lot of companies, it became quite expensive. Yeah, not only expensive, but it, I think it's limited the uptake of developers that have picked up the platform. And um, I know it's quite popular with a lot of enterprises, but there's a lot of competition in the market now. And I think that may be part of the reason uh, Microsoft's kind of driving this new initiative to open their tools and server uh, infrastructure and, and um, you know, the .NET framework and everything into the open source space. What do you think about that, Matt? Yeah, I completely agree. You know, frameworks like Ruby on Rails and counterparts that have MVC, um, you know, Microsoft wasn't really viable for the small startups. And I think they kind of lost a lot of traction that they once had. So, Hopefully, with all this excitement that they've generated around VNX, they can really keep it going and get some of that back. Yeah, you mentioned Ruby on Rails. Another another good one is Node. I think Node's put mm -hmm. a significant uh, dent in um, 
future web technologies for for that field. So that you know they've staked their claim. <laughs> yeah, so definitely in Milwaukee. I know a lot of developers that were in .NET at one time have moved over to Node. So that's a good point. So we keep saying vNext, but what really is vNext? Because uh, this has been a long time coming, but if we keep calling things vNext, eventually the next thing will take over. So uh, there's been a lot of kind of drama around what to name this actual transition and the, the frame, frameworks and products involved. So we've kind of gone from vNext to .NET 5 which was supposed to be the predecessor to ASP.NET 4. Mm -hmm. um, and just as of a short time ago, uh, say two weeks, uh, that's changed over to .NET Core, right? Yeah, so I actually really like that they did that because um, like Scott Hanselman and some others have said, it's a complete rewrite. There's nothing from the old uh, platform. So to call it .NET 5, doesn't really make sense, but then you can't call it .NET 1 because, well, it's still not really representative of what it is. So I think .NET Core and then starting over at 1.0 really makes sense, and it also kind of shows its age, you know, .NET 4 has been around for quite a while, .NET Core 1 is obviously brand new. So I really like what they did with that. And, uh, I kind of wish they would have done it sooner, but what are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> so if you're new to the conversation, if you're not, you know, a previous uh, .NET developer, uh, what we're talking about is they've taken the current version of ASP.NET and started to retool the framework to work on uh, multiple flat platforms and also be an open source product uh, or project. And... They, they've kind of transitioned the name around a bit, and instead of it being kind of the predecessor or the sequel to our next version of uh, ASP.NET, they've kind of turned it into a new new entity, a new product uh, that will be .NET Core. And uh, the .NET Core um, is a new .NET framework that will run on any platform and what's interesting also is you can develop for it uh, using any platform. So there's a total new stance from Microsoft that we're, we're kind of not used to. It's very, you know, relative, relative to the age of the company, this is, you know, brand new, <laughs> very recent information. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, like we kind of talked about before, you used to have to have a Windows machine to even develop for it, not only to host it. And I know for our team, that's a huge hurdle because most of us have Macs. And to even work on our sites, that means you have to have Windows. And while that's more licensing and it's more overhead, um, so I'm really excited for uh, 1.0 to ship so that we can start moving some of our sites over to .NET Core and eliminate the whole need for Windows for the majority of our team. Um, I think that's really exciting, and it'll improve our workflow a lot, too. So, Matt, what kind of enticed you guys to move to Macs? I'm curious. 
Uh, well, most of our team is actually more on the creative side. So, you know, obviously they're inclined to use Macs. Um, we used to not even use .NET for our, most of our websites, so it wasn't really an, an issue then. Only in the last couple of years have we started moving sites to our in-house .NET CMS, and that's when they started having to use Windows on their Macs. I've seen a lot of folks move over to Macs um, in the developer community as well, and a lot of that's been driven uh, from what people uh, say is a quality of hardware. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the the Apple folks really have some quality hardware products, and that's really gained a lot of traction with the developer community, at least from what I've seen. Yeah, actually, admittedly, I'm a Microsoft developer, but I use a Mac. Uh, I really prefer the Mac for day-to-day use. And I do think that, although some argue it's at a premium, I like the hardware. And I think it's much more reliable than uh, counterparts in the PC world. Yeah, I've I've seen a lot more uptake, even in the Microsoft community, with uh, Mac machines, just at least with the hardware and and with the Windows OS on it. Um, Yeah. And then, you know, little little funny personal story of my own. Um, I was doing some client work one time, and I did a whole session with this person on uh, what their new website was going to look like and how it was going to be hosted and the whole nine yards, all the way from conception to deployment, uh, pricing. And her her big question was, why was I a web developer using a Dell and not a Mac? <laughs> yep. I I can see that. So we have these developers now using lots of Macs. We have uh Microsoft saying they're going to support not only developers but uh infrastructure running on multiple platforms. Uh, you know, there there's multiple reasons why Microsoft is is doing this. So what are some of their their ways of entering this market? Uh, well, I think one thing is, um, you know, they obviously started over, and with that, they've open-sourced everything. Um, I think a lot of, the other thing that might have steered a lot of people away from Microsoft and the .NET stack is, if you look at Ruby on Rails and Node and everything, it's all open-source. Um, and Microsoft decided to open-source the whole .NET framework, which I think also really did them a lot of justice and helped them take the framework to the next level and make it available to more developers. Yeah, I think it's really important to identify that, you know, this this is open source, like, f- for real this time. <laughs> and the, the code is actually out on GitHub. You know, developers can go out there and not only view the source code, which is extremely helpful for developers, but... They can actually contribute and have those contributions pulled into the project. Yeah, for sure. And I actually have found myself a few times just for fun reading through the source code of the MVC framework. Uh, just because you kind of learn where they're coming from and how they're doing stuff. And then it gives you ideas on how you can use it on your projects too. 
And one thing that's really nice about it is the black box is gone. Yes. So if you are trying to figure out how something you're writing, in, you know, the API is working behind the scenes, you're absolutely free to go in there and look at it. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, I, I know a lot of developers don't like the idea that I'm working with a black box and I have no idea what it's doing behind the scenes. So that's a good point. I think there's a distinction to make there too about the fact that they're actually pulling in uh, pull requests and it, it's being treated like a real open source project. Um, I've heard some criticism and I'm not trying to bash um, – uh, Apple, because this is a Microsoft topic, but uh, I've heard some criticism of uh, Swift being open source, where they, you know, they've kind of said it's open source, but they they're not really giving it the full open source treatment. Yeah, I think Microsoft did that a couple of years ago too, if I remember correctly. Yeah, when their stuff was on Codeplex, uh, I think things were a little bit different. They, they were actually... so open to pulling things in. I'm really curious now that uh, you mentioned that too, what's going to happen to Codeflex now that Microsoft has moved to GitHub essentially? Yeah, I, th I think um, it's going to end up fading over time. Uh, it's one of those things that will probably be around for quite a while, but eventually they'll probably sunset that project. Yeah, I think Mercurial is probably going to go by the wayside with that as well. Yeah, Git in general has really taken over in the landscape. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so Microsoft's made the move. Uh, we've got the ability to write code. Uh, what are some of the tools that we can use to get up and running on, say, Mac or Ubuntu? Uh, so with the whole VNX movement, Microsoft had also uh, released what they call Visual Studio Code, which is a uh, counterpart to the full Visual Studio, which requires Windows, obviously, to run. Um, and Visual Studio Code, or VS Code, uh, runs on Windows, Mac, and Linux. And it's, uh, I don't want to compare it to Sublime, but it kind of reminds me of Sublime in some ways. Um, I think they did a very nice job implementing it, and uh, now they actually support plugins also, but it has built-in Git integration, it has uh, built-in debugger for C-sharp and JavaScript, and uh, overall it's a really fun experience to be able to sit there and write code in Visual Studio uh, on a Mac. Um, so to get started, you can actually just go to git.asp.net and they walk you through everything you need to install on your Mac, um, which is Homebrew and some other uh, install packages. So I'd say you can get up and running in probably less than a half an hour. So what's the experience like on a Mac? Uh, well, obviously you don't have the full uh, experience of Visual Studio um, as far as IntelliSense goes, but with Roslyn, your uh, IntelliSense experience is uh, pretty good. Um, instead of Visual Studio, if you want to debug or start your web app, you'd simply hit a button. Whereas in uh, on the Mac side, you'll have to go to the command prompt and 
type in DNX web, which now might change apparently. But uh, then it serves up the site just as it would on a Windows machine. Yeah, well, another thing that you just touched on there, we really haven't covered much, uh, Roslyn. So they've mm -hmm. taken the compiler for .NET and completely re-engineered that so it's open source and runs cross-platform as well. Yep, that's, I totally forgot about Roslyn until <laughs> I mentioned it. Uh, but yeah, that's also a huge step forward, and I think it's what made VS Code possible, really. Yeah, because for folks that aren't .NET developers and, and use Visual Studio, uh, you might not know how pampered we really are inside <laughs> of Visual Studio with uh, Microsoft's uh, IntelliSense. Uh, yeah. So when you're you know, writing code, it's it's beyond code completion. It gives you an, a contextual menu of what methods are available on an object or uh, available in an API, so to speak. So yeah. it's very hand-holding. So if, if you're not used to that, then it may not be such a big deal. But if you're coming from Visual Studio over to something that's like a lightweight code editor, uh, you're used to having these suggestions made uh, on a contextual basis for you. Uh, so it's the Rosalind compiler is able to help assist with that on uh, something that's open source and not inside of Visual Studio's, you know, very controlled IDE. Yeah, and actually, you bring up a good point. Uh, you know, one of the things that attracts me to C Sharp is the whole idea of strong type classes and variables. Um, I played with Ruby and stuff a little bit, but I just I like the strong type so much that it's hard for me to use anything else. So the fact that Roslyn can help me do that on a Mac is really exciting to me. Yeah, uh, strong type versus you know stuff like um, JavaScript and Ruby. There's there's always that trade-off. So you have a language like JavaScript where you can get things done very quickly, um, but in a strongly typed scenario, those things you're doing to make your code quick, uh, quickly written uh, might be viewed as bad practice in other yeah, languages. That's true. So there's always a handoff of speed versus uh, stability. Um, you know, it's something that you could really really debate over an entire podcast on its own, but uh, that's kind of the gist of it. Yeah, for sure. So uh, I've, I've actually given uh, this cross-platform experience a try uh, using Ubuntu. And, you know, the stuff that we're talking about still isn't in its final stages of release yet. Uh, so I would caution folks, uh, at least from my experience with the, the Ubuntu version of this set up uh, is this not quite ready for prime time yet uh, so if you're going to get the .NET framework installed and running on Ubuntu uh, be prepared for some headaches and uh, quite a bit of typing sudo command after command to get these things installed um, and then you kind of go through a phase of uh, run it and, and watch it break and then Google for help and then sudo some more and yeah. do some more command line installations of tools that you either missed a step while you're doing the installation or weren't quite documented the right way. 
<laughs> and yeah. uh, much, much later, uh, you will have a working version of Visual Studio Code and .NET and uh, any of the frameworks that you want to build on top of. But it's a little bit of a painful experience at the moment. Like the, there needs to be a um, batch installer that takes care of all these things for you. And it's just not there yet. Yeah, I, I definitely hear you there. Um, back in beta 4 of uh, Renext on OS X is when I started really playing around with it. And, you know, like you said, there was a lot of pseudoing, there was a lot of Googling. All the documentation says this, but that's not what I'm seeing. And I think it comes down to, in part at least, that they're iterating so fast. I don't think the documentation is quite keeping up with the iterations. So yeah. I think hopefully once V1 hits, um, the APIs will kind of settle down and the documentation will be able to catch up a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this thing really is moving fast. And uh, props to Microsoft for this, the cadence that they're working at. I mean, they are really pushing this thing quickly. Uh, every time I look at it, the, the documentation for it's out of date because they've moved, <laughs> you know, three versions ahead of whatever it was. Yeah. Um, hopefully we find out some more at Build. I'm, I'm hoping there's some uh, milestones or something that are going to be set to where we can get comfortable with where it's at and actually do some dev on it and not have to worry about breaking changes on a monthly basis. <laughs> uh, but, you know, that's what you're dealing with when you look at bleeding edge anything. So, right. you know, it is what it is. Yeah, I'm really excited to build. Uh, I really hope that if not before then, that at build it goes V1. And uh, maybe we learn some interesting stuff or see what their next steps are. Speaking of next steps, uh, do you do you have any projects that you're, you know, exploring to work on in the future with these technologies? Well, actually, I just rebuilt my personal blog uh, using all VNX stuff. Um, unfortunately, I didn't do it on the Mac side, but I do want to actually try to move it over to the Mac side now that what I needed is in... Uh, the core CLR, which it wasn't before. Um, so that was kind of a fun experiment. And that's really the first site that I would say I've really completed. Um, it's just a simple blog site uh, with some static pages and then um, some blog posts and whatnot. Um, and then once, like I said earlier, once v1 hits i do plan on moving some of our projects at work uh that are uh kind of simpler websites over to v next so i'm really excited to see how that goes so the, are any of these projects using uh cloud technologies at all because i heard there's some real big cloud optimizations that were made uh moving from .NET to .NET core and the v next type stuff yeah, so my site is actually now hosted on Azure, um, which is a lot of fun. I like Azure a lot. Um, and it's using Azure Blob Storage and all of that fun stuff. 
Um, the idea behind the cloud optimization is that .NET used to be this huge install, and you couldn't install, or you couldn't run a web app that was running 4.5 without 4.5 installed on the server, which obviously scared a lot of server admins and, you know, all of that tape that a lot of people experience. So what they did is they made it so that you can actually package your .NET runtime that you need for your project within your project. So technically you don't even need .NET installed on the servers anymore. Yeah, and, and you can have multiple versions of .NET applications running so you don't have to worry about installing a new version and it overriding something that another version was using or another site was using. Uh, they can be self-contained and have their own versions of .NET, um, mm -hmm. even your own build of .NET if you wanted to go that route and fork the .NET framework and add something to it for your own purposes. Yeah, that's true. And that also really helps because obviously the .NET framework as a whole is huge. So the core CLR is very small. I don't remember the exact size, but it's a fraction of what the whole framework is. So in the cloud environment where you're paying for space, it really helps to reduce some space usage there also. And makes it easier to deploy. So while we're talking about the cloud and the web, uh, let's go ahead and cover ASP.NET MVC 6, because this is another uh, part of the .NET ecosystem that's getting like a complete ground-up rewrite in the next release. Yeah, so uh, obviously MVC 6, which, um, you know, again, kind of the version name doesn't quite make sense, but um, it's... It's building on the existing MVC framework, but built on the new core CLR. Um, so they've done away with the need for IIS and all of that, obviously. And they really made it kind of a pluggable architecture with Owen, um, which is kind of fun because you can write whatever extensions you need to do different hosting scenarios or whatnot. Yeah, and, and Owen is an, an open standard uh, that Microsoft's picked up and uh, kind of used to make a pluggable... Uh, actually, it, the best way to explain is it, it's very Node-like um, <laughs> mm -hmm. version of the uh, MVC model view controller architecture that they're using. So this this gives you the ability to go down to the metal and write uh, write against HTTP requests and um, work directly against those or apply things like the MVC framework on top of it and extend upon Owen in multiple different ways. Yeah, actually I just wrote my first piece of Owen middleware for my blog site, actually. Um, you know, I, in .NET, you can do redirects in a web.config, but 
I felt like that was kind of old school, and uh, I was looking for something simple to do in Owen, and I ended up uh, writing a, that little piece of Owen middleware that will do UOL read reacts. So there's a blog post going live soon on that too. Yeah, it's nice to have that ability to reach down to the bare metal and write against it if you need to. And it gives you a lot of a lot of options for creating, you know, micro frameworks and microservices, things like that. And another thing that's nice about uh, Vnext or .NET Core is it can be self-hosted. So you don't need, like you said, you don't need IIS. So you could have uh, these little microservices run and just bounce off of HTTP requests and do things that you need to get done. You can create little tasks and stuff like that. Yeah, you can run your site from a console application, I think. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, so there's a lot of huge changes uh, in MVC6. Like you said, it's interesting that they even named it that because it's such such a big rewrite. A lot of the concepts stayed the same. Maybe that's the reason why they chose chose to keep the name the same. Mm -hmm. But ideally, the, the code in general has been completely rewritten. Um, they've even combined uh, Web API with MVC now because the concepts in both of those frameworks were exactly the same, uh, but they were being developed independently. Uh, yeah. So they had different code bases. But now, now those are sharing the same code base. So when you call a controller... Uh, in MVC, or you call a controller in Web API, it's using the same controller logic uh, to make things happen behind the scenes. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Before Web API was, I'm not going to say a second class citizen, but it, it wasn't around when MVC was first introduced on the .NET stack, um, and it kind of took some work to get older projects to use it. So. Now, like you said, they're completely combined. You can use one controller for both of them, um, which is really nice. And obviously, decreases code duplication. Um, another thing I really like about MVC 6 is the fact that they have dependency injection built right in. You don't even need... Uh, a container like Autofac or Structure Map or Ninject. Um, it's all built right in, and you can register the services in the startup file and call them and inject them any way you need to. Yeah, the code base for MVC6 is really clean, uh, and that's mainly due to the dependency injection that's there from the start. Uh, but what's really nice about it is they've made it completely extensible so you don't have to use autofac but if you like it and you need some of its features you can easily uh use that as the container versus the d default one that's there yeah for sure it's just nice knowing that if you want to do dependency injection you don't need to learn autofac separately or whatever container yeah absolutely it, it definitely brings down the learning curve and and dependent, like, dependency injection on its own can have you know quite a learning curve, but uh, they've got such a lightweight implementation of it that it doesn't take uh, you know a full workshop to understand how it's uh, it's working. 
one thing I wanted to mention too about the rewrite is, you know, in a .NET application, you used to have this huge web.config, which was a bunch of ugly XML. And in MVC 6, it's all JSON now, and it's really clean and concise. Um, and what's really cool is you can even inject configuration from a configuration file directly into your controllers or your services or whatnot. So that is huge, I think, in my opinion. Yeah, so you don't you don't have the you know, was what was the uh previous version called? There was a class that you had to rely on. Configuration uh, manager. Yeah, the configuration manager class, which was a big static object that you had to pull your uh, settings from. Uh, now your settings can be injected right at the controller level. Uh, so you mm -hmm. don't have this big static thing sitting around everywhere with all your settings in it. It's really, really streamlined uh, the way that development's done in .NET. And also, like you mentioned, the project.config being um, JSON now, they've actually changed all of the configuration over uh, in any of the files, including like package management and everything else to JSON, which is really nice. Yeah, definitely. Um, it even does serialization for you, so if you have an object with the four properties on it and your JSON represents that, it does this uh, serialization for you, so you don't have to wire any of that up by hand. Yeah, a lot of big changes there on the back end and the front end as well. So the front mm -hmm. end, um, Razor stayed fairly the same as far as the syntax and stuff goes, but they've added a new flavor of Razor called a tag helper. Yeah, so tag helper, when I first saw him, I'm like, okay, this is kind of strange, but now I get it. So when you have front end developers that are implementing markup, it's really hard for them to basically context switch, context switch. So they would go from writing some HTML and then, okay, now I gotta add this kind of funny syntax in here to get a link. Um, so tag helpers are just HTML now. So you can write a link just as you would any other link and MVC will pick that up and render it how it should be. Yeah, it's it's blurring the lines even more between HTML and server-side code. Mm -hmm. um, and it does that in a really interesting way that makes writing helpers a lot easier. I don't know if you've tried to write um, custom HTML helpers in the past. Uh, they're not completely terrible, but it's not the easiest uh, thing to just pick up and run with either. Uh, yeah. Tag helpers, the implementation is much, much simpler to create custom HTML fragments and server-side rendering for. Have you done that yet? Uh, yeah, I've, I've played around with it, and I need to get my article published. <laughs> uh, it's, it's sitting there, but I've been so busy, I have not been able to get that out yet. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's... I haven't made any yet, but I really want to, so I'd be curious to take a look at that. So the the gist of it is you um, you inherit from a base class and just override 
one or two methods and those methods output the HTML and the parameters that those methods accept are the ones um, define, that define the tag helper. So it makes it a lot easier than uh, the previous version where creating a tag helper meant um, you know, using the, uh, the big, big tag builders and writing them out to strings and the whole nine yards. It's just, it's a lot more streamlined of a process. There's a lot less mystery behind it, I guess you could say. Yeah, again, getting rid of that lock box. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, tag helpers is something that we are looking at uh, from Telerik's perspective. Uh, so Telerik has UIs for uh, ASP.NET MVC as well as uh, ASP.NET web forms. But uh, speaking in the context of ASP.NET MVC and vNext, um, we're looking at, you know, creating tag helpers for some of our controls that, that we have. Um, and those are looking those are looking really good. Uh, some of the bigger controls are going to be interesting to see how our engineers tackle those, <laughs> uh, because tag helpers in essence are very simple. Mm -hmm. um, and when you have something like a spreadsheet control, which is one of our our new controls that we just released, uh, there's lots and lots of configuration that can go into these things. And um, currently, we have a fluent API chain that we call. Uh, to render these controls and it's very easy with IntelliSense to build these controls out and understand that there's you know dozens upon dozens of properties that can be set uh, for these objects and when you have something simple like a link it's not a big deal to put it in a tag helper but when you have something complex like a, a grid that's got you know finite uh, configuration on columns and rows and cells and <laughs> menus and you name it uh, you know there's multiple uis going on inside of that control and each one has you know switches for toggling menus on and off and sorting abilities and you name it uh, a tag helper might be outside the scope for that i think but we'll see uh we we've got some really smart and clever people that uh, work in our engineering teams and I can't wait to see what they come up with. Yeah, me neither. I I use the grid heavily from Kendo, and so I'm really curious to see what they do with that for tag helpers. Yeah, so if you're looking to get started with some Microsoft open source products, what, where are some places we can look, Matt? Well, uh, my favorite place is uh, the Twitter sphere. So if you follow people like Damien Edwards and David Fowler and uh, that whole team, um, they are very active on Twitter. They post a lot of links to blog posts and GitHub issues, etc. Um, which leads me to my next one, the GitHub organization that they've set up is very active. They post all of their announcements on major refactoring or renaming. Um, so keeping it up with that. Um, Scott Hanselman also does a lot of blogging about it. So make sure to check him out. Yeah, Scott um, Hanselman has his um, community stand-up too that they do. Yeah. So we'll, we'll put links in the show notes, but that's um, the MV, is it 
it's .NET community stand-up, correct? Yeah, it's on YouTube. So it's YouTube. like all, all of .NET. It's not just uh, MVC-specific, right? That's correct, yeah. Yeah, we'll put that up. That's a really good resource. Um, that's where you're going to get a lot of your breaking changes announced and uh, naming changes announced and, and keep up with things until they, they hit some kind of steady milestone like we were talking about earlier. It's definitely a good resource for uh, breaking information. Um, we also do a lot of blogging at blogs.telerik.com and developer.telerik.com. And uh, I actually published a free white paper on uh, the changes that developers should know about ASP.NET MVC. So that'll, that'll get you up to speed on what's changed from ASP.NET MVC 5 to MVC 6. And you can get that from our website. Again, we'll put some links in the show notes so you guys can grab those. Awesome. So, uh, Matt, I really appreciate you coming on the show and chatting with me about Microsoft open source stuff today. Well, thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. And thanks, everybody, for listening. 